I am struggling always at the end of a series because I have other things that I'm working on. Never know which one to put in the shoot next. Uh, I've got some some of the Psalms that I'd like to cover, but I also it's been a long time since I did some of the looking at the theology of the hymns and going through the lyrics and that. And I've thought about doing some of the ones as we move towards Lent uh, related to the cross. So. Uh, if you have any thoughts about that, you might let me know because um, I'm, I'm struggling with which way to go. And I don't necessarily want to go back and forth. Alright, today we complete our series, hopefully, <laughs> on the book of Romans. We saw in the first section that Paul really explained God's purpose of salvation. And he starts by basically saying that Jews and Gentiles are all sinners. Jews have the Torah, but they're sinners. Gentiles don't have the Torah, but they're sinners. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What he explains is that the Torah itself can't save weak through the flesh. So God is going to send his son that through his death, burial, and resurrection, uh, he could condemn sin in the flesh. That we could ultimately, particularly in resurrection, obey God fully. So Paul talks about the righteousness of the Torah that can't save, but is blessing and reward. And the righteousness of faith that Abraham had, believing God and it was counted to him for righteousness. So God has called us, both Jews and Gentiles, by grace through faith into him. So that we will await the adoption of sons which is the second coming and the resurrection body, when we will share in his glory, and we have no idea what that means. He also says that God has partially hardened Israel for our sake, so that the Gentiles could come in. But when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, all Israel will be saved. And we're not to boast against the natural branches. There's a real need in the church for us to avoid anti-Semitism in the in all its forms, but particularly in the spiritual form of it. Then in the second section, Paul begins chapter 12 with, I beg you therefore, because God's doing all of this, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices. We're buried with him in baptism. We're raised to walk in newness of life. So we're to present ourselves frail as we are through these bodies that still sin. Um, And we are to live by love. That's what the commandments are about. Dead to sin and alive to God. And in doing that, he recommends, he commands, (laughs) that we live at peace with all people as much as depends on us. That we don't seek our own vengeance. That's difficult for some of us, right? But overcome evil with good and allow for the wrath of God. He can handle it better than us. So we're to accept each other. And not judge each other, because that's not our job, that's his job. But we're to be sure that we don't trip each other up. We're to help each other, the strong bearing the weak in their infirmity. And ultimately, and we saw this last time, that Christ has become the servant of Israel for the purpose of fulfilling the promises to the Father, and so that those of us who are Gentiles will be to the praise of God's glory as we've come to him. Now, in the last part of all, well, most of Paul's letters, he concludes with personal greetings, brief comments to someone who's in the congregation, 
And it's odd that in this letter, he actually lists a whole bunch of people. We almost have a whole chapter of this. This is a curiosity to scholars because he's writing to a church he didn't found. And he's never been there. Right? And yet he's doing all these greetings and, and he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's at Corinth. On his way to Jerusalem. And then he's going to go to Spain and he says, on my way to Spain I'm going to visit you in Rome. <clears throat> I'm not going to go through the background of each of these relationships. Uh, because that would be its own series. And the commentators do that. You could read the commentaries for that. But I'm always struck by this chapter at the relational nature of the church. And a lot of you kind of took the wind out of my sails during the testimony time because you talked about the relational nature of the body at large, right? So I'm, not, I'm preaching to the choir here. Um, I don't mean the local congregation. I mean the body of the Lord and what we call the communion of saints. So I, I don't know how you do this, but I usually talk about a local congregation as a congregation, not a church. People will say to me, at your church, and I say, our congregation, I'll just, I'll just change the word. Because for me, the church is the body of Messiah. That's, that's all who are believers in every nation, and those who are here, and those who have gone to be with the Lord. So, I want to talk about that because I think this chapter uh, shows, and it's amazing in those early days of believers, that they seem to know others in other congregations and other parts of the world. We think of them as not traveling much. But, but in the diaspora, there was an enormous amount of people knowing each other and people traveling and interacting and finding the group. Remember, they can't just be out there. There's no steeple to look for. They have to find people whom they can trust to interact with. And they sometimes are recommended by others. And that's what's going on in this chapter. So we're going to pick it up at 16 verses 1 and 2. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant at the church, which is at, <coughs> so I always choke here, Sacria. Sacria is an area just right outside of Corinth. Um, and that's what he's talking about. That you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. That you, that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has been a helper of many and of myself as well. Now. Paul starts with Phoebe. Phoebe is a servant, or this word can be translated deaconess. Uh, There's a a pretty, I think, significant argument to be made that there were uh, female deacons in the early churches because of the nature of caring for the widows and the the orphans in that. Uh, And so... It could be just the deacon's wives. But here she's called that, and he's talking about how she's a helper. Apparently, Phoebe is on her way to Rome. And Paul says, I want you to greet her. Now, he doesn't mean greet. Say, hi. Hi, Phoebe. How you doing? This word means to embrace and welcome and fellowship 
and take into one's um, trust this person. That, that's really what Paul's doing. He's not just saying, y'all, we're saying hi to you. He's really talking about this is a woman who has proven herself and you help her in any way because she's a helper of other people. And in doing so, she will be your sister as well. Then in verses 3 and 4, and slightly into 5, he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles. And also greet the church that is in their house. I would translate that congregation. These are those house congregations that are a little bit larger than a family that include friends, that include uh, workers for the family and that kind of framework. And you know Priscilla and Aquila were helpers. They were fellow tent makers and they worked with Paul. They pulled Apollos aside when he came in. There's an enormous understanding that there are relational connections to all these people. Now, it's not clear here whether they are headed for Rome or he's just telling them when they get to Rome, right? Uh, We don't know who's in Rome and who's not in Rome from this list because of the way Paul talks about it. But he wants them to see each other as brothers and sisters, that is, immediate household members in the context of the Lord and members of one another in the body of the Messiah. So we'll pick it up in verse 5 through 11. And now he's going to give us several other people. He begins with uh, Aponidas, my beloved, who is the first convert of Christ in Asia. Now, the text doesn't say that. It says that this person whom I love, that's what he means by beloved, was the first fruit of Asia in Christ. This is very Hebraic, right? The first fruits are taken at the beginning of the harvest and they assure the rest of the harvest. And so he's saying this one was the first one to come to faith. He's the first fruits of the, of the, uh, of the Asian uh, discipleship community. Then he talks about Miriam, and in the Greek it's Miriam, not Mary, who has worked hard helping you. This sounds like it's someone who is in Rome. And the text is not just that she works hard. That she has wearied herself multiple times in helping you. In the body, there are people who come to the rescue from time to time. And there are people that just are servants. They just are helpers. They're always looking for a way to help somebody. They're, they're like the energizer bunny, you know, and they're just going through the, the body in that way. And, and, and I think we have to be careful of those who, who, weary, who become weary in that process because they can become discouraged in that. We're not to grow weary in it, but you can grow weary when the need, mothers know this particularly with multiple kids, that you can grow weary in, in that kind of context. Dads, we, we get the concept, but we grow weary just from 
walking into the living room. You know, it's not it's not the same weariness. It's like our our notion of pain is not the same as as well. I don't want to go there, right? So I'm gonna leave that alone. Uh, so Miriam is one of those, and obviously the Hebrew form of the name. She's probably a Jewish believer. He says then. Uh, Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles, who were also in Christ before me. This is a fascinating verse. We don't have time to really go into it in detail. But Paul calls them kinsmen. Commentators aren't sure what he's talking about. Is he talking about relatives? These are my relatives? If they're relatives... Didn't, didn't Paul somewhat lose his family when on the road to Damascus? Isn't he independent? No, maybe he's got relatives who are also in the faith. Is he saying fellow Jews? Meaning that these are fellow believers in that. But he says something about them that's quite interesting. Uh, the way it's translated in the New American Standard is, they're my fellow prisoners. In other words, they have also been imprisoned for the gospel of God. Uh, and they're outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. They were believers in Yeshua before Paul came to faith. And he either says they are outstanding as apostles, I'm going to use little a there, leaders who were sent out with the gospel, or they are highly respected by the apostles, the twelve. Right? There's a there is in the book of Acts uh, the use of the word apostles sometimes for Paul and Barnabas. And so the word apostle is used in both a, uh, not the original 12, but some of the leadership who are sent out. And then the original 12 have a special place as the apostles of Christ. We tend to do that with capital A. We're not sure whether this is a capital A or a small a, the Greek doesn't do that. So we don't know if these have very high regard from the apostles, because they were in the Lord before Paul, or that they have a reputation as leaders in the community, and they go back very early in the proclamation of the gospel. But it's interesting. Notice the detail that that we're getting. He then goes on and says, uh, greet M. Pliatus. This is a Latin name. Uh, he just says, Beloved in the Lord. Paul loves him, and he loves him in the Lord, right? Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in, in, in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. This is uh, interesting. Urbanus, interesting word. Ur, this is where we get our word urban. So he's a city guy, right? Uh, he's a fellow worker. But this Stachus shows up in very early documents among the sub-apostolic writers. They believe he is one of the original 70 that was sent out. Remember Jesus sent out the 12? And they came back and said, the demons are subject to us in our name. And he said, don't, don't get excited about that. Be glad your name is in the book of life. But then later Jesus sends 70 out in pairs, Right? And, and so, in the early church, there is a list of some of these who were of that 70. And uh, Stachys is, is, uh, is one. I, I think his, his name probably was closer to Stokes. No, it's not. That's not true. Just, you know. But Paul loves him, right? Uh, so he couldn't have been Stokes. <laughs> so, all right. 
He then says about this next guy, Apelles, the approved of Christ. Wow. This is someone who's been tested. This is someone whose life has been troubled and he has stood firm and everybody knows that his testimony of following the Lord through difficulties is there, right? Maybe even persecution. And then he says, and this is an odd one. He says, greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Notice he doesn't say greet Aristobulus. Those who are of the household. So we don't know if this is a person who was an unbeliever, but there were believers in his household. Or if this is a person who's with the Lord and his household is still there, right? So we don't know that. But we know that within the body there are both of those categories, right? That, that help us to understand this relational nature uh, of the body of Christ. Then he says, greet Herodian, my kinsman. Again, is this a relative? Or is this a uh, 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 just a fellow Jew, right? Interesting enough about this guy, um, there is discussion about uh, him that he may be. They don't know if it's Aristobulus or this guy, who is the grandson of King Herod. So, again, they're, they're struggling. Names are spelled differently. People had a Greek name and a Latin name and a Hebrew name, right? So it gets, it gets difficult to do that. But uh, fascinating stuff. Now, the next one. And greet uh, those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. So, again, we have Narcissus. We don't know if that's a believer or not a believer, but there are believers in the household. Notice this closeness. Sometimes you're closer to people in the faith than you are to people who are your blood relatives. You're closer to people who are in the faith than people who are family members because there really is a difference in those who are disciples and those who are not. You love them. You love them. But there is a difference in that frame. And to some extent, always a sadness when you have unbelievers in your family, right? Um, uh, and, and a consternation by them that they have believers in the family, right? That, that little struggle. Then he says, <clears throat> well, that's, that's 11. So let me pick it up at uh, uh, chapter 16, verse 12. Uh, Tephrynia, uh, Tephosia, workers in the Lord, greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. That's interesting. We'll get to that in a minute. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes. Uh, notice these are not Hebrew words. So we're now talking about Gentile people. Patrobas, Hermes, and the brethren with them. Greet Philogus and Julia, Nerellus and his sister, Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Notice he's giving them the title of saints. So, this 16, 12 through 15, Paul gives us a list of names. Uh, a lot of the commentaries tell us what the name means. That's not helpful <laughs> in, in, our, in our context. But they are workers in the Lord, and they are Roman, Romans 
who should be accepted as brothers and sisters, and he calls them holy ones. He calls them saints. Of note here is Rufus and his mother. That Paul says, Rufus and his mother and mine. Rufus. According to Mark chapter 15, verse 21, there is a man who was compelled to carry the cross of Jesus. His name was Simon of Cyrene. We all know about him. But if you look at Mark, Mark says he had two sons, Alexander and Rufus. It's likely that Rufus became very well known in the community of faith because of what his father had done in the context of the crucifixion. And in some way, his mother became a mother to Paul. I've, I've had a woman be like a second mother to me. Jeremy talked about this uh, this morning. There is a fictive relationship that is extremely important and should not be discounted. America makes a big deal about blood relatives. They make a big deal about uh, phenal relatives, legal relatives. We kind of downplay the fictive relatives. But in biblical context, those are extremely, extremely important. It's part of the relational nature of the church. So then we get to verse 16. Paul says, Greet one another with a Hershey's kiss, and all the churches of Christ greet you. Is that what your verse says? That's the original Haagen-Dazs. Dove something right there. This is interesting that Paul talks about a holy kiss. He's talking about when we greet one another, that it's an acceptance of fellowship. And this has continued in most of the liturgical churches as part of their greeting in the service. We, we don't actually do it here. Uh, but in many churches at a given time, they will say, greet one another, and people will embrace the people near them. And that Now, we do a lot of that ahead of time. We're still doing that. That's, not, that's part of worship. That's part of being the community of faith. For some of us, that's a difficult thing. Okay? I won't mention any names. right? But some of us have a struggle with that because while we feel the affection, we don't always feel comfortable expressing it. And then some of us have difficulty receiving that affection. right? So we have to be careful with this, but we ought to acknowledge each other, try to acknowledge each other as much as we can in that context. It's the relational nature of the body of Christ that includes all believers from every language, every tribe, every kindred, and every tongue. Trying to find a way to do that. In verse 17, Paul now changes his focus. Verse 17. I urge you, brethren, keep an eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned and turn away from them. 
For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Really important to understand that Paul's not saying, just greet everybody in the Lord, it's just fine. He has been giving names of people that he wants them to embrace. But he says, I also want you to be careful. There are some people that just come in in the Hershey Kiss mode. They come in all friendly and, and that. And they're really there to rip you apart. They're really there to destroy your fellowship. They're really there to cause harm. Because they are about themselves and not about the body. right? And he says, I want you to be aware of that. And so as he's urging us to be relational, he's urging us to be uh, smart in that. And he says that uh, these people place traps. That's how the Greek says. Stumbling blocks. Before people. And they do it towards the people who are um, well the phrase the phrase here is um, unsus- hearts of unsuspecting hearts. We we all know people who live with their hearts open. They're they're easily manipulated because of that. Some of us have, you know, moats around our hearts with alligators in the moats. And so we're less likely to do that. Even if somebody says something complimentary, we go, I know, that's manipulation, right? So, so I'm not, he's not talking about those people. He's talking about those, and we all know those people who genuinely are loving and accepting and open in that sense. And what happens is a, one of these people can use flattering words, get friendly with them, and then harm them. So we have to also watch out for one another, not just for ourselves, but watch out for one another in this context. So then he uh, picks it up and says, uh, for the report uh, of your obedience has reached everyone. Therefore, I'm rejoicing over you all, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent is in what is evil. So, so his idea here is uh, we have to be, we, have, we need to be an open relational network, but there are some boundaries that have to be drawn in that context, not only for ourselves, but for others as well. So, he then says to them a very interesting statement that I, I love the commentaries. They kind of do what students do when they don't have an answer to the question. They talk about the question. And so, uh, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. Is that ultimately... Are they going through something? What's going on, right? Remember, this is the Roman church. They're, they're in the capital of the city with the Caesars, right? So, fascinating text, but I don't know what to think. And then he says, uh, the grace of the Lord be with you. He's, he's blessing them with grace. Now he's going to greet them with the people who are around him. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, and so does Lucius, and Jason, and Sopater, 
my kinsman. Again, we get this word about relative or fellow Jew. Lucius is sometimes, tr- people try to connect it to Luke. It's, it's not likely. Paul doesn't usually call him that, so this may be another person. And so that is, in a sense, the end of Paul's dictation. He's been dictating this whole letter. And somebody's been writing it down. And now that guy greets him. Verse 21. I mean, verse 22. I, Tertius, which means third. I don't know if he's the third one or if it was a triplet, right? Um, Who write this letter, greet you in the Lord. He's the one that Paul is giving the words and he's writing it down. So Paul may have had penship kind of like mine. So you would need someone to write, write that down, right? Gaius, who is host to me, probably Paul is talking again, uh, and to the whole church, he's talking about the Corinthian church there, greet you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you, and Cordus, the brother. Interesting, the brother. Now, he's talking about a very prominent person in the city to be the treasurer of the city, right? So there are, there are uh, people of, of status in the congregation, and there are people of no status. Paul reminds the Corinthians, you be careful. Look around, not many mighty, not many noble are called, right? We're not to think that the elites of the world are the elites of the church. They're not, right? Uh, and you know this as well as I, that many, many people who are not big in the culture around us are powerful saints and godly people in the, in the body of Christ. So, I don't know what Bible you have, but if you have a NASB 95, verse 24 is in brackets. If you have a 2020, there is no verse 24. Anybody got that? Yeah. It's not even in there. Yep. Because in the earliest manuscripts that we have, that verse isn't there. Why? Because it is in verse 20. And it just somehow gets put it's like, oh, and then he remembered Timothy, right? No, it's, they're not paying attention. And then somebody put that in, right? A lot of little fascinating. Every part of the scripture is fascinating. So we end with Romans. Wow, look at the time, Stokes. You've got to stop. We're going to end with the benediction that Paul does. I love this statement. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long past. This whole thing he's been talking about in Romans. But is now manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets. In other words we're seeing it in the prophets that they didn't know what they were writing about half the time. Uh, According to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the nations, not just Israel, to all the nations, leading to the obedience of faith. Faith brings salvation. That faith 
brings us in a struggle towards obedience. The obedience will never save us. But faith without works is dead being alone. So we have to get these, we've got to get the cart and the horse in the right place. The faith of salvation that trusts God. Though he slay me, I will trust him. And then the struggle against the flesh and the world and the devil to try to obey him and bring honor and glory to his name. Awaiting the day when we will be risen from the dead, our bodies will be transformed and we won't have the thoughts and we won't have the passions and we won't have the temptations. Uh, We won't even have the four tops. Just, I can't get that stuff out of my head, right? We, we won't have any of that to deal with. We will be like him, John says, for we shall see him as he is. What a day that will be, right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for the letter of the apostle to the Romans that we still have, that we can read it. And understand the relational nature of the church. To understand that you want us to be connected to others in the body. Outside of our congregation. In multiple denominations. In multiple cultures, ethnicities and languages. To see and understand that your body is around the earth. And awaiting the return of our Lord. Who will gather us all together to be with him in the kingdom. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.